0: This is Case Closed, Crime Stories from the Golden Age of Radio. Welcome back to Case Closed. Thanks for joining me once again for another hour. Crime Stories from the Golden Age of Radio. We'll begin this week with the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes and the Blarney Stone, his episode from March 18, 1946. After that, it's Dragnet and the Big Evans, their story from March 6th, 1952.
1: Petrie Wine brings you... Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce and the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes. The Petrie family, the family that took time to bring you good wine, invite you to listen to Dr. Watson tell us another story about his old friend, that master detective, Sherlock Holmes. And incidentally, I'd like to tell you about a swell American custom. The custom of serving sherry wine just before dinner. Petri California sherry. You know, especially when you have guests, while you're waiting for that call to the dinner table, there's nothing better than a good glass of that good Petri sherry. You don't need fancy glasses for Petri sherry. No, sir. That wine tastes good out of any glass. And it looks good, too. Beautifully clear and the color of precious amber. Just try that Petri Sherry and you'll feel like smacking your lips after every sip. Oh, and say, Petri makes two kinds of Sherry. The regular Sherry and Petri Pale Dry Sherry. Just to make sure you get the perfect Sherry for the whole family, don't buy one, buy two. But do be sure the Sherry you buy is Petri Sherry. Petri, the proudest name in the history of American wines. <laughs> Now I'm sure our good friend Dr. Watson's ready for us. Let's go in and join him. Go,
2: in, go. Ah, there you are, Mr. Bartell. Good evening, Doctor. Say, where are the puppies this evening? Mr. Bartell, don't you think it's about time you began to refer to them as the dogs? They're almost a year old, you know. <laughs> I stand corrected. Where are the dogs this evening? Well, they had another furious battle with a dead seal on the beach today. My housekeeper, Mrs. West, is giving them a much-needed bath. <laughs>
1: They certainly have an aversion to seals, don't they? Well, Doctor, are you all ready with tonight's new Sherlock Holmes adventure? Yes,
2: my boy, and as yesterday was St. Patrick's Day, I decided to tell you a story that took place in Ireland uh, a few years before the turn of the century. I imagine that you've heard of kissing the Blarney Stone, haven't you?
1: Oh, yes, Doctor, though I've never understood exactly what it meant.
2: Well, let me explain it to you, because the ceremony plays a, a very important part in the story tonight. Blarney Castle is an imposing 15th-century ruin a few miles outside the town of Cork. The castle is many stories high, and in the foremost tower, the famous Blarney Stone is is situated. What's supposed to be the point in kissing it, Doctor? The stone is considered a powerful talisman, and the legend runs that whoever kisses it is endowed with eloquence
1: for life. (laughs) Say, Doctor, if I ever get over to Ireland, I'll certainly kiss that stone. But you're such a storyteller yourself, Doctor, I... I bet you've kissed it, huh? Uh, no, Mr.
2: Bartell. I'm afraid I never had quite enough courage. Courage? Well, why does it need courage, Doctor? because no, the Blarney Stone is, is set in a most inaccessible position on the outside wall to kiss it. It is customary to lower the candidate for eloquence. Over the rampart, head foremost, with a friend hanging on to his heels. From the top of a castle? It does sound dangerous, Doctor. Oh, it was, my boy, so much so that in recent years, a great row of iron spikes was put round the parapet to prevent an accident. Though, of course, at the time tonight's story took place, there was no such guard. And I have a feeling that an accident did take
3: place, no, Doctor. No, 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 no,
2: Mr. Bartell, let me tell you the story from the beginning. Sherlock Holmes and I were staying in the city of Cork, where the great man had just solved the singular affair which the local press had referred to as the Leprechaun Murders. A few days before our departure for England, we paid a visit to Blarney Castle. I must confess that I had a certain desire to test the miraculous powers attributed to the Blarney Stone. I very soon changed my mind, however, as Holmes and I stood there, high on the turrets of Blarney Castle, and watched a terrified initiate being hauled up by his ankles and yelling at the top of his voice, "Pull me up! Pull me up quickly! I, I think I'm going to faint!" Great Scott, I had no idea that kissing the blindest stone was such a hazardous proceeding, huh? It is. Yes.
4: It would seem that eloquence could be more easily obtained than by hanging suspended by one's ankles from a battlement with a hundred foot drop below and kissing a piece of stone. Oh,
5: I'll never do that again. Oh,
2: I'll never, never do that say, I must say, I don't blame the
4: fuller.
2: <laughs> and yet, my dear chap,
4: on our way over here, you expressed a sneaking desire to kiss the stone yourself. I'll be very happy to hold your ankles if you want to try the experiment. No, no, thank
2: you. After witnessing the ceremony, I've changed my mind. Then I suggest we
4: make our way back downstairs. I don't think there's much more to be seen up here.
2: Well, by the way, Holmes, do you know the origin of the superstition regarding the, the Blarney Stone?
4: Yes, I do, old chap. The, stone was, um, <coughs> the story of the stone dates back to the middle of the 15th century. A certain Cormac McCarthy called the Strong, a descendant of the ancient kings of Munster and builder of this castle, chanced one day to save an old woman from drowning. In her gratitude, she offered Cormac a golden tongue which would have the power to influence men and women, friends and foes, as he willed. She told him to mount the battleman, kiss a certain stone in the wall five feet below the gallery running around the top. He followed her directions and obtained all the fluent persuasiveness she had
2: promised. And I suppose the story spread in the Blarney Stone has been a magnet to pilgrims ever since. Yeah, a pleasant legend. Uh, Holmes. Yes, old chap? Tomorrow's St. Patrick's Day. I, I bet there'll be quite a bit of excitement in the village tonight. Don't you think it'd be rather fun to... Pay a visit to one of the local inns. Splendid idea,
4: old chap. Our rather arduous work here in Ireland is concluded, and I think we're more than entitled to a little gaiety. In Dublin city, the girl
6: was so pretty. It was there that I first met sweet Malim Malone. She her
2: Charming, quite charming, a waiter and
4: singing at his work. Singing very well, too. Just the same. I wish someone would come and take our an order. Oh, there's a barmaid.
2: I'll see if I can catch her eye. Hi. Uh,
7: miss? Miss? Would you gentlemen be after wanting something?
2: Yes, my dear. My friend and I would like a little refreshment. And what would you suggest?
7: What would I suggest, Your Honor? Oh, big God. There's but one drink a gentleman like yourself should be after pouring down ya, And that's the cream of Connemora. Whiskey that'll soften your heart and, and make you glow with a good feeling so... So that the little people will be after visiting
2: you. Ah, 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 it sounds delightful. Bring two glasses, will you? Yes,
7: your honor. <laughs>
2: yes, your honor. I, I must say I never heard an English barmaid going such rhapsodies over a nip of whiskey. No,
4: the Irish are distinctly more colourful in their
2: speech. It's an interesting fact, though Watson,
4: that uh, the Irish are curiously unrewarding in the criminal world. England, Scotland, America, Australia have all produced classics of crime, but the Irish murders, almost without exception, have been purely physical. Affairs of hot blood. You say that rather regretfully, Holmes. Nobody, a chap. No, no, no. I say, Watson, look at this rather florid-looking gentleman coming towards our table.
2: No, oh, looks to me as if he's a little under the weather. You
8: fellows have got to have a drink with me. Oh, thank you, sir, thank you, but we've just ordered one. Well, you've got to have it with me. I went to the races at Cork today and made a killing. I'm going to buy all the drinks, sir, tonight. I'm afraid that... Uh, Nothing you're to be not... afraid of. I'll, I'll, I'll sit down with you for a moment. There. My name's Hankin, Jeffrey Hankin. That What's yours? Uh, uh, mine is Holmes, and this is my friend, Dr. Watson. How do you do? How do you do, sir? How do you do? Your Honours, <laughs> uh, that'll be one in six. Here, I'm paying for these here. Half a crown, and you can keep the change. Oh, a chain. oh Ooh, you, blessings on you, Your Honours. So, oh, well, if you
2: insist on paying for our drinks, Mr. Hankin, here's your very yes, good health. Yes, indeed.
8: You're, uh, you're both English, aren't you? Yes, sir. So am I, and it's certainly a relief to hear an English voice again. Oh, you don't like the Irish little sir? Can't bear it. <laughs> personally, I find it rather charming. Yes, indeed, so do I. Well, you wouldn't if you had to live with it all the time. Sometimes I think that if I hear one more Irish tenor singing Molly Malone, or one more reference to the little people, I shall go raving mad. <laughs> you live in Ireland, sir? Yeah, I have to. I own a half interest in the tweed mill here, you see. In any case, my wife's Irish, and she thinks there's no other country in the world, so I suppose I'm stuck here. Uh, see that couple sitting at the table over there? You mean the fellow with a very beautiful girl? Yes. man's Michael Corker and my partner. Oh, the girl's absolutely ravishing. <laughs> You'd like to meet
9: her?
4: I'd like to invite George, yes. Well,
8: what do you say, Holmes? Oh, very
4: well, Watson. The combination of my natural curiosity and your taste for a pretty face would um, <laughs> seem to suit the occasion admirably.
8: Uh, I might as well warn you, Doctor, that the pretty face belongs to my wife. Your wife? Oh, good question, me, i mean, sorry. sorry. I, I, I didn't mean to. Oh, well, you better bring your glasses with you. Molly, my dear, I want you to meet two English friends of mine, Mr. Holmes and uh, Dr. Watson. How do you oh, do? how
7: do you do, Mr. Holmes, Dr. Watson? Won't you sit down and join us? And
8: this is my partner, Michael
4: Corcoran. Uh, how do you do, Mr. Cochran? How do you do, sir? I'm glad to meet you. Please be seated, gentlemen.
7: Are you visiting here in Cork, Mr. Uh, yes, Holmes?
4: Mrs. Hankin? but uh, we're returning to England in a few days.
7: You've been to Blarney Castle, I hope?
2: Oh, oh yes, we were there this afternoon.
7: And uh, did either of you have the courage to kiss the Blarney Stone? No, no,
2: we didn't. I'm afraid it's an athletic feat that's beyond me. <laughs>
7: it's a lot
2: of
8: rubbish, that's what I it is, it kissing a slab of stone. Uh, have you the courage to do it, Geoffrey? Well, of course I have, but I don't want to make a fool of myself. Where's the barmaid? Kathleen. I'll make a wager, Jeffrey, that you haven't the courage to kiss the stone. How much will you bet, Michael? I'll wager a ten-pound note on it. It's a bet, and you fellows witnessed it. I'll kiss the Blarney stone at noon tomorrow, and you'll be ten pounds the poorer, Michael. And I suggest that Mr. Holmes and Dr. Watson be present as well. Lately act as referees. Jeffrey, dear, don't get so excited. Well, I don't like it when Michael suggests I don't have courage. You want some more drink, Mr. Henry? Yes, all of us want some.
4: Uh, No more for me, thank you, Mr. No, 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 no.
8: No more for me, thank you. I think you've had enough, Jeffrey. Don't tell me when I've had enough, Molly. in city, the girl's Oh, no, a not that selfish song. Yes. Mr. Hankin. I find this traditional Irish is quite
5: beautiful. And I find and them, them
6: revolting. Stop!
5: Geoffrey, quiet.
6: Would your honor be wanting me to sing another song? My
8: honor would like you to shut up that filthy cattle boy Really, sir, really, oh, I Jeffrey, call that Mr. Uh, Sean, please go on with your singing.
6: In Dublin's fair city, you heard me
8: you great so bog trotting gussoon. I said shut up, and I meant shut up. Geoffrey, oh. I'm leaving here at once. Michael, please to take me home.
4: It'll be my pleasure, Molly.
7: You're an ugly man, Mr. Henkin. Knocking down poor Sean when he was singing just like a bird. Burn the devil with him and all of you. No Irishman'll be after forgiving you for this night's work. No, not the little people of old Ireland either. You've made more enemies, Mr. Henkin, than you'll ever see. But
8: you'll be
2: no one there, they are. Fiddlesticks. You can't frighten me with your stupid Irish superstition. Well, bless my soul. That was a charming little
4: party, I, I must say. Uh... Englishmen like Hankin are a disgrace to their country. Fortunately, they're not represented, though.
2: Yes, I must say, I'd hate to have a curse put on me like that barmaid laid on him. Watson. Yes?
4: Did you see the glances which Mr. Hankin's partner and his wife exchanged as the brawl started? There was more menace to him in those glances than in all the threats of all the little people in Ireland.
5: Yes.
2: I thought that there was something between them. I say, Holmes, that bet about Hankim kissing the Blarney Stone at noon tomorrow, do you suppose... I suppose nothing,
4: old fellow that there are forces at work here that I don't like. I think, Watson, that uh, you and I will be at the Blindestone at noon tomorrow. It's possible that the bet made tonight is all part of a definite plan, and I have a feeling that the bet is still on. quite windy up here today, old fellow, at the top
2: of the tower, isn't it? Yes, it's just past noon. I wonder if that man Hankin is going to keep to the terms of his bet. We shall soon learn. In the meanwhile, are you sure that you wouldn't like to change your mind and
4: kiss the blanister stone no, yourself? I'm
2: quite sure, thank you. Ah, here they come now.
4: Yes. Hankin and his partner, Mr. Corcoran. The bet is on, Watson.
8: Good day to you, gentlemen. Oh, hello my friends from last night. Well, I see you're going through with the bet, son. Oh, yes. Geoffrey set his mind on that ten pounds of mine. Your wife didn't accompany you, Mr. Hankin. No, she didn't. I'm afraid I'm rather in disgrace for my behavior last night. Molly made me go around and see that waiter fellow that I hit. I offered him money, but he wouldn't take it. Oh, did you offer him an apology? Apologize? To oh, a waiter, I should say not. Well, oh, come on, let's get this stupid farce over with. Uh, are you sure your nerves can stand it, Geoffrey? It's a drop of a hundred feet or more below you. Oh, don't worry about me, Michael. Just hold on to my ankles tightly and don't let go. I'll climb onto the parapet. There we are. Now hold on to my feet, Michael. And lower me gently.
5: Uh, I'm holding you, Geoffrey. Then lower away. Yeah, right you are, Geoffrey. Great Scott, I wouldn't do
2: that for a hundred pounds. Sliding head first on a vertical wall. That's
5: enough, Michael. I can reach the stone. Oh, his boots! They're slipping through my fingers! I can't hold him! Let me help you! I'm slipping! Hold on to him! Hold on
8: to him! Oh! He's gone! I just couldn't hold him!
2: Great heavens! No man could survive that drop! Mr. Cochran,
4: you deliberately let your partner slip to his death. This is murder.
5: Yeah. But I don't understand.
8: i I'm a strong man. But he just vanished out of my hands like make a
4: grease pig. Let me see your hands, Mr. Corkerman. Oh, this is dreadful. Dreadful. There's grease on your hands. Grease. And with a faint trace of boot blacking.
2: Good Lord, Holmes, that means... It means, means that...
4: Watson, that someone, knowing that Hankin was going to kiss the Barney Stone, smeared his boots with grease, so that he would slip out of the grasp of whoever was holding him. As clever a method of indirect, long-distance murder as ever I've encountered. <laughs>
1: You'll hear the remainder of Dr. Watson's story in just a second, so I'm going to remind you that Petri California Sherry is not only wonderful before dinner, but it's good almost any time. If you had to choose just one wine for almost any occasion, that wine would be Petri Sherry. Petri Sherry is a perfect wine to serve in the afternoon or in the evening. It's good before dinner, yes, but it's swell after dinner, too. In fact, with a bottle of Petri Sherry on your shelf... You've got practically a small sized wine cellar. So get a bottle of Petri Sherry soon. And remember, you can't miss with any wine that has the letters P E T R I on the label because all Petri wine is good wine. Well, Dr. Watson, this is quite a story you're telling us tonight. Uh, What happened next? I suppose you went down into the castle grounds and looked for the dead man's body? Well,
2: we tried to, Mr. Bartell, but the authorities were curiously uncooperative. They refused to let us search, insisting that the police be called first. And so, Mr. Bartell, half an hour after the tragedy, Holmes and I found ourselves standing in a tiny police station as we told the story
5: to the local sergeant. Should uh, sure the saints be praised, Mr. Holmes. Tis a terrible story, you've told me. Tomorrow I'll be after rest Sean O'Flaherty. Sean O'Flaherty? He's the waiter at the inn, the one who sings. That he is, that he is, and he sings like a breath of spring. I'll be sorry to see him hang. But tell you, you've got no proof that he was responsible for the murder? Proof, you say, sir? Well, I can't arrest a big manufacturing man like Mr. Cochrane, can I? Or a fine lady like Mrs. Hankin. But you can't arrest a man without any evidence of guilt. Oh, I can't, can't I? Then suppose and I tell you that Sean O'Farraddy cleans the boots at the hotel where Mr. Hankin was staying. He does, eh? Then he had the perfect opportunity for the greasing of Hamkin's boots this morning. And we know he had a motive for harming him. You're right, sir. And for what I have heard of the dead man's behavior last night, half a dozen people could have heard him make the bet that he'd kiss the blarney stone today. Sean O'Fribe's our man. I'll have to arrest him tomorrow. Tomorrow? But, good heavens, man, aren't you going to do something Today? A murderer is at large. Today is blessed St. Patrick's Day. Oh, I should let the poor fellow have the day in peace. Oh, he won't run away. Oh, my dear sir.
4: Will you come back with me to the castle and search for the body? They refuse to let me do it alone.
5: On St. Patrick's Day? That I will not. We would need a crew of helpers and where will I be after getting them on pleasant St. Patrick's day? No, no, we'll do that tomorrow too. Now, today's a day for celebration. Oh, your your methods astound, Miss Argent. Oh, do they now, sir? Don't be after fretting about me. Just enjoy yourself today. Tomorrow we'll see what can be done about it.
2: Well, good day to you, gentlemen. Oh, bless my soul. I never seen such a happy go lucky policeman in my life. It's infuriating.
4: If only I were allowed to examine Hankins' body. I could get to the bottom of this. Well, what are you going to do now, Holmes? If the police won't help us. Then we must take the law into our own hands. I think we'll start off by going to the hotel and seeing what we can find out from Sean O'Flaty. Mm-hmm.
6: I was going to bell in your a day I well remember For to view the lads and lasses on the fifth day of November With a moring do a day and a moring do a daddy Oh, your honors, would be after speaking to me, Sean O'Clarity, perhaps... Yes, Sean,
4: did you know that Mr. Hankin, the man who struck you last night, was dead? Dead?
6: Well, if ever a man deserved to be beneath the sod, twas was Geoffrey Hankin himself, a mean, ugly man. The saints be praised that he's gone. How did he die, sir?
2: He was murdered murdered. Well, be Dad, I'm
4: not surprised to hear it. Who murdered him, sir? At the moment, the police seem to think that uh, you are the culprit.
6: Myself? Well, how would I be after murdering the man, sir, when I don't even know how he died?
2: He died when he fell from the top of Blarney Castle as he was trying to kiss the
4: stone. He fell because Mr. Corcoran, his partner, couldn't hold on to his feet.
6: His boots had been greased.
2: And we know that you have been cleaning his boots, Sean.
6: That I have, sir. I cleaned them this very morning. But I put no grease on him, if that's what you'd be after suggesting. I'm suggesting nothing. I'm trying to establish a few facts. Do you know Kathleen the barmaid? Oh, and why shouldn't I know her, sir? She's to be me wife before the winter sets in.
4: Uh, she pronounced a curse on the dead man last night, just after he had knocked you down. It's possible that
6: uh, she, she, she met... Here yeah, she
2: comes, huh?
7: Sean, my darling, what are the fine gentlemen doing here?
6: Oh, eh? Kathleen. They've come to ask me questions about the death of Mr. Hankin. He fell off Blarney Castle today and got himself murdered, they say.
7: The saints be praised. But, uh... But what has that to do with you, my darling?
6: Well, the gentlemen tell me that the village police think that I might have greased his boots so that he slipped to his death.
7: The village police is as stupid as my father's big sow. If Mr. Henkin fell to his death today because his boots were greased, I can tell you who did it. And did who? The little people... I warned Mr. Henkin last night that the little people would be after him. He insulted the oh, Irish. Oh, come, come, come,
2: my dear. You don't seriously expect us to believe
7: in the, in the little people? And why not, Your Honor? We have them here. Oh, oh, There'll be those that say the fairies word. all be dead. But, but I know different. I've seen them. When I was a slip of a girl, close to where I lived, there was a rat. A, a, that's a fort, you know. And the rat was a fairy's fort we never dare touch it with a spade or, or cut down a tree growing on it or carry away a stone. we put our ear to the ground at night and, and we could hear the fairy music rising up from under the ground. Ah, oh, they're gentle people. Most of the time. But they'd grease the boots of a man like Mr. Henkin if they didn't like them. That they would, Your Honor.
2: Holmes, I'm
4: certain that we're wasting our time here. I feel so, Watson. You get the whole thing turned on the greasing of those boots. If only I could have the boots in my hands. If only I could make laboratory tests. But until that dolt of a police... But, of course! I have it, Watson. You have what, Holmes? The answer, I hope. Get hold of Mrs. Hankin and Mr. Corcoran. Have them meet me in the Blarneystone Tower in half an hour. And
2: you? Where are you going?
4: To the police station to try and convince the sergeant that even though it's St. Patrick's day, it's his duty to help me trap a murderer. (laughs)
5: No, oh, Mr. Holmes, you're an obstinate man. It's blessed St. Patrick's Day, and yet you insist that we meet here on the top of Barney Castle. Uh, what do you think you can prove? Who murdered Geoffrey Hankin? Yes, but why do Molly and I have to be here?
7: Yes, Mr. Holmes, and poor Jeffrey's body still lying somewhere below us.
4: Uh, Mrs. Hankin, Mr. Corcoran, I asked Dr. Watson to bring you here for good reason, I assure you. you ready, Watson? Quite ready, Holmes. Uh, good. Sergeant, uh, Yes, sir. you asked me why I've assembled the three of you here. I'm going to reconstruct the crime. I shall play the part of the victim. My friend, Dr. Watson, will represent you, Mr. Corcoran. Now, I'll straddle the parapet. So, uh, Watson, hold on to my feet, Will. Uh, I've got him, Holmes.
2: And uh, lower him down the face of the wall. Right, sure. Holmes, Holmes, hold tight to the wall. Can't push yourself back. The murderer's tried to get you. Uh, your I boots are covered in grease. Oh, stand back. Come away. Oh. Grab right my trousers, legs. I've,
5: I've got him,
4: Holmes. Come. Up you, come. Oh. There, we, there we go. Oh, a devilish plot! That was a near thing. Devilish plot, Sergeant, and very cleverly carried out. My boots were ungreased when I entered the castle, and yet someone has been able to apply grease to them without my knowledge within the last few minutes.
5: Sure, and how is that possible,
2: sir? I
4: don't know, Sergeant. I must confess. Holmes.
2: You stumbled as you came up the darkened staircase. Do you remember that? That's true, I have I'd forgotten.
4: And you, Mrs. Hankin, and you, Mr. Corcoran, were kind enough to assist me to my feet. An excellent opportunity to apply the grease. Now we know that one of you two is the murderer. I must have a jar of grease somewhere. Now, Sergeant, will you search the lady while I search Mr. Corcoran? But this is ridiculous.
7: Of course it is.
2: How could we be guilty? Well, if you're not guilty, you've got no objection to being searched, ma'am. Well,
5: upon my word, here in your purse, Mrs. Hank, there's a jar of grease. What? Now, what have you to say you're yourself? I
4: oh, can't you say, Sergeant? Except that she engineered her husband's murder and tried to engineer mine.
5: Oh, no. No, I... I knew nothing about Jeffrey's murder. Oh, Michael, darling, I swear to Don't you... Don't worry, my
4: darling. I'll not let the murder... I'm telling you, you're wrong, Mr. Holmes. I... I was the murderer.
7: Oh, no, Michael... You mustn't sacrifice yourself for me. I think
4: this little play-acting has gone far enough. Mr. Corcoran, you have just offered us what you think we will accept as a false confession. But I've established the one thing I wish to know. That you love your late partner's wife and she you. I'm proud to admit that, Mr. Holmes. And now that she's a widow, I can say it in the open. But what are you implying? That you murdered your partner.
5: But... But the grease on your own boots, sir. I just found a jar of it in Mrs. Hankin's oh,
4: handbag. Oh, that, my dear sergeant, was all part of my little plan. As to the grease on my boots, I confess I placed it there myself, just as I planted the jar of grease in your bag, Mrs. Hancock. But why, Holmes? Um... A fraud accomplished two ends. It forced you, Mr. Cochran, into a betrayal of your love. But what was more important, it proved from what Dr. Watson's natural reactions were that a man... Holding the creased boots could not fail to realize that fact at once. You brazenly committed murder before our very eyes, Mr. Corcoran, hoping to appear as an innocent victim of another's plot.
5: Your theory is an ingenious one, Mr. Holmes, but how can you prove it? I can claim that my hands are unusually insensitive, not the delicate fingers of a doctor like your friend. Yes, he's right, sir. How can you prove it? When,
4: uh, with your kind cooperation, Sergeant... We find the body of Mr. Hankin and examine it, I shall study his boots. If the grease was applied at the hotel, as it would have been if uh, Sean O'Floudy had done it, the boots will reveal dust from the walk here. If there is no dust, the grease must have been applied as you grasped your partner's boots with grease smeared hands, Mr. Cochrane. You should know best what my tests will reveal. Grab review. him,
2: Sergeant. Grab him, he's, oh, Come No,
8: oh, Michael. Don't. Please don't. Goodbye, Molly, my darling.
2: No! Great Scotty. He jumped off the parapet.
5: Now, Mr. Holmes, you can see that I was right, sir.
4: Wasn't I? What do you mean, Sergeant?
5: Oh, in waiting until tomorrow to get the search party. Now we can be after finding both bodies at the one time. <clears throat>
2: Doctor, that was that was really an
1: unusual story.
2: Uh, even now, I get a bit of a shudder when I think of that afternoon at the castle. I don't blame you.
1: Doctor, you know something? Uh, earlier this evening, I said that if I ever got to Ireland, I'd certainly want to kiss the Blarney Stone, remember? Yeah. Well, I've changed my mind. I'd no more want to hang by my heels to kiss that stone than... Well... Just let's forget.
2: But, my boy, don't forget, if you kiss that stone, you get the gift of eloquence. you would be the most convincing fellow in the world. So? So, well, whenever you talked about Petri wine, you'd really do people a favor because they wouldn't be able to resist trying it. Oh, talking about Petri wine isn't important, doctor. The best way to
1: determine just how good Petri wine really is
5: is to taste it.
1: One sip and there's all the proof you need. That's because the Petri family has developed the art of winemaking to a truly fine point. They've been making wine for generations. And all of the things the Petri family knows about turning luscious, sun-ripened grapes into fragrant, delicious wine have been handed on down in the family from father to son, from father to son. That's why whenever you want a swell wine, for any occasion, you can't go wrong with a Petri wine. Because Petri took time to bring you good wine. Well, Dr. Watson, what new Sherlock Holmes story
2: are you planning to tell us next week? Well, now, let me see. Next week, Mr. Bartell, I'm going to tell you a a story in which that arch-criminal, Professor Moriarty, played a most important part. It deals with the theft of a famous painting of a strange night that Sherlock Holmes and I spent trapped in the interior of a giant metal vault and of mysterious bloodstains in an empty room.
1: Tonight's Sherlock Holmes adventure was written by Dennis Green and Anthony Boucher and was suggested by an incident in this Arthur Conan Doyle story, A Case of Identity. Music is by Dean Foster. Mr. Rathbone appears through the courtesy of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer and Mr. Bruce through the courtesy of Universal Pictures, where they are now starring in the Sherlock Holmes series. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System.
10: The story you are about to hear is true.
11: The names have been changed to protect the innocent. Fatima Cigarettes, best of all king-size cigarettes, brings you Dragnet on both radio and television.
10: You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned to personnel division. A resident of your city files a report of assault and battery. His shoulder is dislocated. He's been badly beaten. He claims his assailant was a young police officer. Your job? Investigate.
11: Comparison proves Fatima quality.
10: Yes, comparison proves Fatima quality. Compare Fatima with any other king-size cigarette. One. Fatima's length filters the smoke 85 millimeters for your protection. Two, Fatima's length cools the smoke for your protection. Three, Fatima's length gives you those extra puffs,
11: 21% longer than standard cigarette size. And you get an extra mild and soothing smoke, plus the added protection of Fatima quality.
12: Definitely the best quality in its class, but the same price as a cigarette you are now smoking.
10: Prove Fatima quality yourself today. By Fatima in the bright, sunny yellow pack. Best of all, king-size cigarettes.
11: Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step-by-step on the side of the law through an actual case transcribed from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment... Dragnet is the story of your police force in action.
0: It was Tuesday, June 11th. It was mild in Los Angeles. We were working the day watch out of BIA. My partner's Ed Jacobs. The boss is Lieutenant Jesse. My name's Friday. It was 10.23 a.m. when I got to room 83, the squad room.
13: Joe, you catch up with the lieutenant?
0: Yeah, in a meeting. He said he'd be out about 11.30. He wants us to handle it for the time being. Oh. Oh, Joe, this
13: is Officer Blanchard.
0: This is my partner, Joe Friday. I'm glad to know you, Friday.
14: I think I've seen you around Central a couple of times. Yeah, sure. How are you? What's this thing all about? Do you mind telling me?
13: You worked yesterday, did you?
14: Yeah, that's right. My regular beat, South Central area. Anything out of the ordinary happen while you were on duty? No, not much. Made a couple of pinches, that's about all. Pretty quiet otherwise. Did you make one of those arrests at 7928 Cortland Avenue? Yeah, that's right. A woman, two men, users. All three of them were booked in violation of the State Narcotics Act.
13: Any of the three familiar to you at all, Blanchard? I mean, had you ever seen them before the time you arrested them? No, none of them.
14: I knew the place, though. I've been keeping an eye on it lately. One of those old-fashioned homes converted into a rooming house. Uh-huh. I've been noticing some of the people going in and out of the place. They didn't look too good to me. That's why I say I've been keeping an eye on the house. Now, what's the story on this, anyway? You get a kickback on the arrest I made?
13: Well, we'd like to have your version of it first, Blanchard. Exactly what happened? How'd you come to make the pinch? Well, I was walking my regular beat. I think it was about 3:30 yesterday afternoon.
14: I was going along Cortland, the 7900 block. A woman came out of the front door and hailed me. She complained about a 507 party in the house a couple doors down the street. And that was at number 7928, the boarding house? Uh, yeah, huh? I checked it out. The party was going on up on the third floor. I went up, found the girl and the two men in the room facing on the street. The girl was fixing a pop for herself when I came in, two caps of heroin on the table in front of her. Mm hmm. What'd you do then? I made a grab for the two caps. One of the guys beat me to it. He got him, ran to the next room, and tried to flush him down the drain. He didn't quite make it, though. I got one of the caps before he could get rid of it. What'd you do then, Blanchard? Well, I sat the three of them down, called into the office. I checked the room over while we were waiting, found two more caps of heroin, usual equipment to go with it. When the radio car showed up, the three of them were taken
0: downtown a narcotics squad and booked.
14: That's all I can tell you about.
0: Well, during the time you were waiting there in the room, Blanchard, did you have any trouble with the suspects at all? Well, I got a lot of talk from one
14: of the men, a fellow by the name of Evans. He's supposed to run the boarding house. Claims he didn't have anything to do with it. He didn't know the girl was a hype. You know, the usual stuff. And that was the extent of it, just talked. Sure, that's
0: all. Why? Well, that's not the story, according to Evans. He had his lawyer bail him out last night. He was in to file charges against you. Huh? What do you mean? Salt and battery. He claims that you worked him over for no reason at all. He says you beat him up and dislocated his shoulder. Oh, he's crazy. He's lying. I didn't work him over. Well, he says he got witnesses to prove it, Blanchard. The two people who were with him, the woman, the other man. He says elsewhere that's what you did. Yeah, but it's not true. They're trying to cook up a frame.
14: I didn't touch any of them.
13: This Evans looked like he's been mussed up, cuts and bruises all over his face, his shoulders, fairly recent, too. Yeah,
14: I know that, but I didn't do it. He was in the same shape when I found him up in that room yesterday. Matter of fact, I asked him about it. He wouldn't tell me. It's the truth, Sergeant, so help me. All three of them are lying. I didn't beat him up. Well, it's your word against theirs, Blanchard. The facts seem to favor Evans. I don't get this at all. Two of those people are known hypes. They'd swear anything for a free cap. You know that. What
0: good is their word?
13: Maybe no good at all. It's not up to us to decide. Evans filed a complaint. It's our job to follow
0: through. Now, you sure about the shape Evans was in when you found him up in that room yesterday, Blanchett? He was already marked up. Is that right? I'm sure he was. I told you. I asked him about it. He wouldn't answer me. But you had no way of proving that
14: you couldn't possibly have been responsible for it. Well, it's up to him, isn't it, Evans? If he says I worked him over, let him prove it. I'm afraid he's got the jump there. Two witnesses. Yeah, but they're lying. You must
0: know that. They're lying. Well, now, look. You can see the position it puts us in. If you're innocent, we're going to do all we can. If you're guilty, we'll see that you get everything that's coming to you.
14: Well, you know it as well as I do, Sergeant. I had no reason to beat him up. I didn't do it. Well, it's not up to us, Blanchard. The court will have to decide. It doesn't make sense.
13: None of it does. There's no other way to handle it. We got 4,500 men in the department. We don't claim they're all saints. Once in a while, one of them turns bad and all of us get a black eye. You're in a jam, Blanchard. Like anyone else, you'll get a fair trial. Yeah well, what happens now? Do I draw suspension? Yeah, that's right. If you're clear to the
0: charges in court, there'll be a hearing before the board of rights. Am I through right now? We'll have to book you in at the main jail. Case will be presented to DA's office tomorrow. Doesn't make sense.
14: I had no reason to beat up Evans. No reason at all. You sure of that, are you? What do you mean? Of course I'm sure.
0: Well, Evans claims you did have a reason, a good one. What? Well, he says you handed him a proposition. He wouldn't go for it, so you worked him over. What
14: do you mean? What kind of a proposition? The bad kind.
0: Huh? He says you wanted a payoff. Investigating charges against a police officer involves exactly the same procedure as cases where private citizens are concerned. Prove the suspect innocent or guilty. If Blanchard was innocent, it wasn't gonna be an easy job proving it. If he hadn't beat up the complainant, George Evans, and dislocated his shoulder, it seemed the only way out would be to find the man who did. Either that or prove that the two witnesses Evans had come up with were lying. If Blanchard was guilty, if he actually had slugged and beaten Evans, we had to find sufficient evidence and we had to find a motive. 11.10 11.10 a.m., Ed and I took Officer Harry Blanchard over to the main jail where he was booked in and lodged in one of the cell blocks. Then we went upstairs to the women's jail where we interviewed one of the witnesses to the alleged beating, an Eleanor Rowland. She'd had previous arrests for vagrancy, grand theft auto, and petty theft, as well as an established reputation as a user of narcotics. She was 23 years old.
9: Yeah, it was terrible. That cop really roughed him up, poor old Evans cop didn't have to treat him like that.
13: How long have you known George Evans and Miss Rowland, you old friends?
9: No, I wouldn't say that. I met him a couple of weeks ago when I came down from north. San Francisco? Portland. I was visiting up there. I'm a Portland girl originally.
0: Well, how about this other man you were with at the time Officer Blanchard picked you up, this Ray Sherman, He you an know, old friend?
9: Buster, yeah. I've known him a few years.
0: So you know Evans very well?
9: Yeah, I guess you could say that. Ray's had a room at the boarding house a couple of years. I guess he's good friends with Evans. Say, can I ask you something? Yes, ma'am. You ever worked narcotics up in Portland?
0: No, oh, ma'am. Never have.
9: Hmm. Face is familiar. I could have sworn I met you in Portland.
0: Do you want to run over that story again for us, Miss Rowland, about what happened yesterday?
9: Not much to say, just the same as I told you.
0: You usually stay at Evans' rooming house when you're in town, do you?
9: No, that's only the second time I was there.
0: How about George Evans? Was he there at the time?
9: No, not first. Me and Buster had a pop, and then we sat around and talked. Mm -hmm. Evans came in a little later. Three of us talked. Told me and Buster not to bring any more junk in the house. He didn't want to get into trouble. Didn't speak of the devil. A cop walked in. What happened then? Buster grabbed two caps off the table, tried to get rid of them. He only got rid of one, though. The cop got the other one.
0: Well, how did the argument start? Do you remember that? Between Evans and the officer, I mean.
9: Well, I was a little high at the time. I don't remember it word for word. Evans said he didn't have anything to do with it, but the cop kept pressing him. He told Evans he'd forget about it if Evans would pay him off. Evans told him no, he wouldn't give him a cent, and then the cop started beating him up.
13: You were in the same room with him all this time?
9: Yeah, Buster and me. We saw it all. Poor old Evans. He really got worked over cop didn't have to treat him like that. Say, are you sure you're not from Portland?
13: Yes, ma'am, I'm sure. Now, about how many times would you say the officer hit Evans?
9: Oh, I couldn't tell you that exactly. Dozens of times, I guess. Kept hitting him with his fists, pushed him all around the room. I was a little high at the time. I don't remember everything exactly. Sure could use a booster about now.
15: Are you sure
0: about everything you've told us, Miss Rowland, that's the truth?
9: Yeah, that's right. Some of the details I didn't remember so well. He straightened it out for me, though. He told me just what happened. Who's that? George Evans. <laughs>
0: a.m. Ed and I continued questioning Eleanor Rowland. The more we talked to her, the more we were convinced that at the time of the alleged beating, she was under a heavy dose of narcotics and that for the most part, she picked up her version of the story from the alleged victim, George Evans. We went down to the second floor of the main jail to one of the interview rooms where we talked to the second witness, Ray Sherman, alias Tom Raymond, alias Buster Raymond. He also had a long record as a user of narcotics. He gave the same general version of the incident as the Rowland girl did, But despite the girl's story, he claimed he was not under the influence of narcotics at the time Officer Blanchard entered the room and made the arrests. Besides that, there were other discrepancies. 1.05 p.m., we had some lunch at the Federal Café and then we drove out to interview the complainant in the case, George Evans. After checking at his rooming house, we finally located him in a neighborhood bowling alley. He was sitting at a bar adjoining the actual playing area, drinking a bottle of beer. Parts of his face and neck were bandaged,
3: and his left shoulder was in a cast. He appeared friendly and cooperative. I kept telling the cop I didn't have any money. Told him I wouldn't give him a payoff, even if I did. So he started working you over that, right, Evans? Yes, that's right. I don't have anything against cops normally, but this guy, that's something else. How do you ever get in the force, anyway? Uh, Had you ever had any contact with Officer Blanchard before yesterday, Evans? Yes, I did, twice before. Came to the house, accused me of running a hideout for thieves, junkies. Tried to get me to pay him off then, too. I wouldn't do it. So when was that, Evans? About six, eight months ago. Yeah, at least that. Well, how is it you didn't report Blanchard then? Well, I did not want to cause any trouble, get mixed up in a law case. I figured I could take care of myself. But after that going over yesterday, that was enough for me. I don't understand how the guy ever made the force to begin with. Well, What's the matter? Yeah, shoulder of mine, he really tore it apart. How'd you spend your time yesterday, Evan? Do you mind telling us? No, I don't mind. I slept till about half past twelve, one o'clock. Had a little bit of a hangover. Then I got up and made some breakfast and read the paper. That's about size. You
13: mean you were in your room all day up to the time you went down the hall to Ray Sherman's room?
3: That's right. Ray was there with this girlfriend of his, Eleanor. Uh, I didn't know she was a hype. That's the truth. Ray should have known better having her there. I don't like the kind of stuff going on around my place.
0: Now, we've checked you through the record bureau, Evans. There's been three or four similar cases at your places the last few years, hasn't there? A couple, yeah.
3: It's a real problem. I don't know how you keep them out. Whole neighborhood around here, you know. Pretty hard to stop it, I guess. We understand you were in the room there while the girl helped herself to a fix, is that right? No, I wasn't in the room when she took the fix. I got there a couple minutes after. I didn't even know what was going on. You can ask Ray Sherman. The girl, too. They'll tell you I wasn't there. Well,
13: that's something else we wanted to ask you about. Sherman and the girl don't seem too sure of their stories. Can you straighten us out there? What do you mean? Well, Sherman told us one thing, the girl tells us something else. Can't
0: seem
3: to get together. Yeah, but I told him. You told him what, Evan? Well, nothing. I told him to tell the truth, that's all. That stupid Ray. He doesn't know half the time what he's doing.
0: Well, that doesn't make you much of a witness then, does it?
3: What do you mean? He was there when the cop slugged me, beat me up. He could see that much. Well,
13: that's just it. We're not sure he did. Huh? The girl says Blanchard worked you over in the living room there. Sherman says Blanchard took you out in the kitchen and beat you up. Now, which is it? I
3: think I'm beginning to get the pitch.
0: How's that? You're out to cover up for that cop. Is that it? Take care of your own? We're assigned to investigate this thing, Evans, just like any other criminal case. Blanchard's not getting any more of a break than any other suspect would.
13: Yeah, sure. You still haven't asked our question. Where did it happen, living room or kitchen?
3: The interview's all over, Sergeant. I got the pitch. You can take this back to your office. I'm going to get that cop convicted. If it's the last thing I do, you can count on that. What's the matter, Evans? All we did was ask you a simple question. Don't try to kid me, Sergeant. I got the angle. You're
0: trying for a cover-up. Okay, go ahead and try. Now, look, why don't you snap out of it, mister? Nobody's trying to cover up unless it's you. Sherman and the girl are your witnesses. Some of the points of their stories don't check out. We want to clear them up. Does that sound unreasonable? I
3: told you, Sergeant. It's no use. I got your angle.
13: Answer me one
0: more thing, Evans. You're on your own. I'm telling you nothing.
13: Who was the doctor that treated you after you were beaten up? Down at Georgia Street the emergency. You ought to know that. No, I mean for your shoulder. We checked over your car down at Georgia Street. No mention there of a dislocated shoulder?
3: No, of course not. I didn't even know I had one until I was bailed out. I had my own doctor fix it. You mind giving us his name? Why should I? I was willing to go along, cooperate, then you started playing at Cagey, trying to cover up for that cop. Now you work it out on your own. All right, mister. Any way you want it. You bet that's the way I want it. You had this whole thing framed from the beginning. Now you're off the track, Evans. You're not kidding me. You're trying to prove that cop's innocent, trying to make me out a liar. What am I supposed to do, help you prove I'm a liar? No, you helped enough already.
0: Ed and I double-checked through Officer Blanchard's departmental record. It showed that Blanchard had been working his present beat for a little more than four months. Evans had told us that Blanchard allegedly had solicited payoffs from him at least six to eight months before. The following day, Ed and I made further inquiries in the neighborhood of Evans' rooming house and also among his friends and associates. For one thing, we found out that Evans had not spent the entire morning and early afternoon in the house. He'd been seen leaving his place by several neighbors at about 10 a.m., through one of his contacts, we got the address of an ex-wife since remarried, a Marie Evans Zarconi. We located her in a small apartment in the East Wilshire District, a small brunette woman about 35. Now, you
13: tell us she used to be married to Evans. Yeah, that's right. Well, what kind of business was Evans in when you were married to him, ma'am?
12: Well, he we had that rooming house over on Courtland Avenue. Well, yes, ma'am, we
0: know about that. Was there anything else?
12: What's the matter, anyway?
0: Just a routine investigation. We like to have as much background on him as you can remember. Are you on fairly good terms with Evans now?
12: No, I haven't seen him since we split up. About a year and a half ago, I think. That's why I couldn't stand
0: him. What well, was the trouble, ma'am? You mind telling us?
12: It just isn't much good, that's all. we find a lot of names to fit him. He was in everything. Well, how do you mean? That's why I got away from him. Every cheap, lousy racket I can think of, he was in it. Peddling dope, blackmail, making books, some of the two-bit rackets. He's been in all of them, one after the other. I had to get away.
13: A rooming house on Cortland Avenue, that's where he's been operating all this time?
12: As long as I've known him, yeah. About three years, I'd say.
0: Mm-hmm. Is narcotics just a sideline with him, or does he go in for it pretty heavy?
12: I mean, he was in it pretty heavy when I left him. I don't know what he's been doing since. I don't care. Just as soon forget all about
13: it. Yes, ma'am, I can understand.
12: What's the matter now, anyway? Got a case against him?
13: Well, not exactly. Evans is filed against a police officer, assault and battery, soliciting a bribe. We're investigating the charges.
12: Hmm, sounds like him. some cop really rough him up?
0: Well, we don't know, ma'am. That's what we're trying to find out.
12: Oh. Well, I'd like to help you out. I don't think I can, though.
0: Well, just one more question, ma'am. While you were married to Evans, did you have a family doctor? I mean, one that you called regularly when you were sick?
12: Yeah, we did. Why?
0: What was his name? Can you remember?
12: Yeah, Dr. Chase. Would you like his address?
0: 2.47 p.m. We got to Dr. Chase's office, and luckily we found him in. Take a look at this magazine,
13: Joe. What? National Geographic. Looks like a real old one, wouldn't you say? Yeah, it sure does. Cover's torn off eh? Yeah. What do you know about that? It's older than I thought. Look at this here. Yeah, what do you got? These pictures, eh? Look. Four pages of them. Pretty grand affair, huh? Yeah. Teddy Roosevelt breaks ground for Panama Canal. How about that? Yeah. Sorry to keep you waiting, gentlemen. That's
15: perfectly all right, Doctor. Let's see now you want to know about... Mr. Evans, Doctor. George Evans? Oh, yes, Evans. What was it exactly, Sergeant? What did you have in mind? Well, the first thing we'd like to know is if you've treated Evans recently, the last week or so. Yes, as a matter of fact, I have. He was in here, uh... Well, let me see now. Let's see, uh... Yes, I thought so. He was in here three days ago. I had some bad cuts and bruises. Mm-hmm. They'd already been treated, though. There wasn't much I could do. Well, was there anything else wrong with him, Doctor? No, not actually. I examined his shoulder. He insisted it hurt him. He wanted me to put it in a cast. Mm-hmm. You put the cast on, did you? Well, there really wasn't any need for it, but I put it on anyway. A little bit of psychiatry thought it would make him feel better. What well, do you mean, Doctor? Wasn't any need for it? Just one of those peculiar things. I've been treating Evans for some time, you know. Yes, sir. That's what we understand. It's fairly unusual, hardly a rare case, though. I suppose you might call it a trick shoulder. It looks as though it might be dislocated, but it actually isn't. I think it's voluntary. You mean he could do this thing himself? Oh yes, he can make it appear dislocated anytime he wants.
11: You are listening to Dragnet. Authentic stories of your police force in action. Fatima, America's first,
10: largest-selling blended cigarette. Now, best of all king-size cigarettes. Prove it yourself today. Compare Fatima with any other king-size cigarette. One, Fatima's length filters the smoke 85 millimeters for your protection. Two,
11: Fatima's length cools the smoke for your protection.
10: Three, Fatima's length gives you those extra puffs. 21% longer than standard cigarette size. And you get an extra mild and soothing smoke, plus the added protection of Fatima quality. Friends, in Fatima, the difference is quality. Fatima contains the finest domestic and Turkish tobaccos superbly blended. And Fatima is extra mild, with a much different, much better flavor and aroma. Because of its quality, its extra mildness, its better flavor and aroma... More smokers now insist on Fatima than ever before. Switch to Fatima today. Remember, each king size Fatima filters and cools the smoke, gives you those extra puffs, and you get an extra mild and soothing smoke, plus the added protection of Fatima quality. Buy Fatima. Best of all king size cigarettes. <laughs>
0: Saturday, June 15th, 10 a.m. The investigation continued. Meantime, the newspapers were still making front-page material out of the story. One of the morning banner lines read, Cop, slugs, cripples, citizen to get payoff. And another one, police brutality rouses entire city. Our investigation went on. Early Saturday afternoon, Ed and I succeeded in locating a former friend of Evans who told us that he'd seen him downtown the morning of the day on which the alleged beating had taken place, the same time Evans had told us he was in bed nursing a hangover. The former friend, a Fred Werner, said Evans was in the company of two known gamblers, Carl Sweetser and Stanley Parrish. He told us that he'd spotted the three of them together at about 11.45 a.m. We questioned Sweetser and Parrish, but they refused to tell us anything. They admitted that they were acquainted with Evans, but they knew nothing about the beating he'd received. We continued making the rounds, 5.30 p.m. We dropped to the main jail and questioned Evans, two witnesses again, Ray Sherman and Eleanor Rowland. We got the same stories as before. 6.18 p.m. We got back to the city hall.
13: Long stretch, huh? Sure be glad to get home. Yeah. Not a bad day, though. We had fair luck in on. I suppose so. It could always be better. Sure like to get the straight story one way or the other. You want to check the book, Ed, see if we got anything. Yeah, okay. No, not much, Joe. call from a Tom Donnelly, you know him? Donnelly? No, that doesn't sound too familiar to me. I got it. Personnel, Jacobs. How's that? No, afraid he's gone for the night. Yeah, huh? No, I'm sorry. I wouldn't know. All right, thank you. There's another message here for us, Joe, in the book. Yeah? From Blanche's wife again. I'm getting to feel pretty silly about her telling her the same thing, not after night. Why don't you call her tonight? Well,
0: you've been doing all right. Why well, give up now? <laughs> Personnel, Friday. Yeah. What was that? Mm-hmm. Your name? Yeah, okay. Uh-huh. Ten o'clock tonight? All right, that's fine. That's so... Sure. Yeah, we'll meet you. Okay. Ten o'clock. Yeah, fine. Bye. Sounds pretty good. Who was it? Have the name of Martin Kimbrough says he knows George Evans. He wants to talk to us tonight. What's the pitch? I don't know. Might be straight, might not. What'd he say? About Evans being worked over. He claims he knows all about it. Yeah? He says Blanchard couldn't possibly have done it. <laughs> 7.05 p.m. We went over to Frank Tang's place, had some dinner, and then we drove out to interview the man who'd identified himself on the phone as Martin Kimbrough we located him at the designated meeting place, a small bar just off Beverly Boulevard and Normandy Avenue. Kimbrough was a small man, slight build, middle-aged. He seemed less sure of himself than he did on the phone. He said that he knew George Evans fairly well and that up until six months before he'd been on good terms with him. He didn't go into details, but he gave us the general idea that Evans had cheated him on some business deal the two of them had been engaged in. We asked Kimbrough about the beating Evans had taken. He said it was common knowledge among the people he traveled with that Gamblers Carl Sweetser and Stanley Parrish were responsible for beating up Evans. He'd welched on a gambling debt, and the two of them had been after him for months to pay off. He also said he knew a close friend of the two gamblers who told him that in private, Carl Sweetser openly boasted of beating up Evans. According to Kimbrough, the beating had taken place about 1 p.m. the Monday before, the same day Officer Blanchard allegedly had given him the beating. We located Sweetser in the coffee shop of a small hotel on South Rampart Street.
15: I'm afraid I don't know what you're talking about, Sergeant. I don't know any George Evans. I've never heard of him. We
13: understand you do. I heard you used to play cards with him. Got it from a couple of people. That's all. I guess they made a mistake. I don't
15: remember the name at all. Maybe he's going under a different one, huh? Well, how about his description? You ought to remember that. Well, maybe I meet quite a few people. It's kind of hard to place all of them, you know. What kind of look like Oh, he's tall, dark complexion,
0: dark hair, scar under his chin. He dresses pretty well, usually wears a suit.
13: No, doesn't mean a thing to me. Runs a rooming house over on Cortland Avenue. He's
0: been in quite a few rackets, all and all. No, sorry, sure, I'm afraid I wouldn't know him. Now, look, we haven't got any beef with you, sweet sir. That's not the point. Evans is trying to get away with a fast one. We're out to stop him. We could use your help. How about it? I don't see how I can help you. What's your beef, anyway? We think you know. It's been all over the newspapers the last couple of days. Oh,
13: yeah, a young cop. What's Evans got against him, anyway? He's trying to save face. We figure that's what we
0: hear, anyway. Well, what do you mean? Well, I think you know how Evans likes to play the big shot. It wouldn't do his stock much good around town if the real story got out. I
15: don't follow. What story are you talking about?
0: About his welching on a gambling tab, getting roughed up. If he says a cop did it, it makes him look a lot better, doesn't it? He comes out of it pretty clean that way, doesn't he? Yeah,
15: pass us all, huh? Yeah, sure. Why don't you guys have some coffee? I hate to eat alone.
0: Okay, as soon as the waitress comes around. Oh, yeah. well, what else you hear about this, Evans? Pretty bad boy, that right? Bad enough. He's got a fast mouth, telling quite a few stories around the neighborhood. That's all. Yeah, I might remember him. Tall, dark guy
15: runs a room, house.
0: Yeah, that's right. You should remember him. He's mentioned you in a couple of the stories he's passing around. Yeah, where'd you get that? Talking to a fellow last night. He says Evans claims that that card game he was in with you was rigged. That's why he didn't pay you off. He claims you and Stan Parrish framed the whole thing. Uh-huh, that's a laugh. Huh? Bony bums are all alike. Lose a couple of dollars and squeal like a pig. What's this Evans doing now? He's up for a narcotics trap. He's out he's on, on bail. bail. Yeah, cheap punk. What's your stake in this thing? We're trying to clear the thing up. Apparently, Evans figures he's going to frame the young cop, save face, talk himself
15: out of a bad situation. Mm -hmm. Oh, what do you want from me? The truth. I'm not going to talk myself into jail, young cop or not. We're not asking you to. You want to clear the case, huh? All you need is proof the cop didn't give Evans a working over. That's right. Okay, you got a deal. (laughs)
0: Without actually incriminating himself in any way, Carl Sweetser gave us information and leads which, after they were checked out, showed definitely that George Evans was slugged and beaten in a neighborhood at least a mile from his rooming house. We talked to half a dozen people who saw Evans in that neighborhood shortly after 1 p.m., the day of the incident. We talked to the clerk at the drugstore where Evans went to buy iodine and bandages. They all told us that he bore the markings of a severe beating as early as 1 o'clock that afternoon. Evans had told us repeatedly that he'd received the beating at the hands of Officer Blanchard no earlier than 3 or 3.15 that afternoon. Ed and I drove over to the main jail where we interviewed Evans' two witnesses again. The girl, Eleanor Rowland, was the first to break. She admitted that Evans had promised both her and her friend, Ray Sherman, $50 apiece if they would go along with him in his plan to frame Officer Blanchard for assault and battery and soliciting a bribe. After an hour of questioning, Sherman admitted the same thing. We had a stenographer take their statements. 4.50 4.50 p.m. Ed and I got in the car and drove out to the rooming house on Cortland Avenue. Yeah? Oh, how are you, Sergeant? You want to get your coat, Evans? I like to see you downtown. What for? What's it about? Filing a false report. You know the story. What are you talking about? What do you mean a false report? You've been checked out all over town, Evans. Your doctor, your ex-wife, your gambling friends. We talked to them all. So what? What's that prove anyway?
13: Proves you were lying, mister. That young officer, Blanchard, he didn't beat you up. There's nothing wrong with your shoulder, either. Doctor Chase'll vouch for that.
3: Look, I don't care what he says. I don't care what any of them say. I got my case against that cop. I'm sticking with it. You're not going to talk to me. Why don't you give it up, Evans? We had a talk with Carl Sweetser. What'd he tell
0: you? Enough to convince us you're trying to frame Blanchard. We've got statements from people who saw you before you got back home Monday afternoon. They say you were mussed up then. That was at one o'clock in the afternoon. You've been telling us Blanchard wasn't at
3: your place till three o'clock. Now how do you explain that? Well, I don't know. Maybe I didn't have the time right. My watch could have been off. Doesn't make any difference anyway.
0: It's going to make a lot of difference. How about getting your coat? I'm going to call my lawyer first. That isn't going to do much good. We've got statements from your two witnesses, Ray Sherman and the girl. They've admitted the whole thing. Now, you haven't got
3: much of a case left. I don't care what they say. They're lying. Both of them, they're lying. You ought to know, mister. What? You taught them how.
10: The story you have just heard was true.
11: The names were changed to protect the innocent. On September 2nd, trial was held in Superior Court, Department 89, City and County of Los Angeles, State of California. In a moment, the results of that trial. And now, here is our star, Jack Webb. Thank you, George Fairman.
0: Friends, I sincerely want you to smoke Fatima and prove Fatima quality. You know, we have a lot of confidence in our king-size cigarette, enough confidence to make you this money-back guarantee. Buy a pack of Fatimas. Compare them with any other king-size cigarette. If you're not convinced Fatima is better... Just return the pack and the unsmoked Fatima's by August 1st, 1952, and we'll give you your money back plus postage. Fatima, Box 37, New York 1. Buy Fatima. Best of all king-size cigarettes. (laughs) ¶¶
11: A complaint was received on George Evans from the city attorney's office for violation of Section 5243 Municipal Code filing a false report to the police department of misdemeanor. He received a sentence of 30 days in the county jail. Ray Sherman was tried and found guilty of Section 11,500 Health and Safety Code possession of narcotics. He was sentenced to one year in the county jail and three years probation. Eleanor Rowland was filed on as a bag addict Section 11,721 Health and Safety Code. She was sentenced to 60 days in the county jail. Officer Harry Blanchard was cleared of the charges pending against him and was reinstated with back pay. You have just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice comes from the office of Chief of Police W.H. Parker, Los Angeles Police Department. Technical advisors Captain Jack Donahoe, Sergeant Marty Wynn, and Sergeant Vance Brasher. Heard tonight were Barney Phillips and Whit Connor. Script by Jim Moser. Music by Walter Schumann. Hal Gibney speaking. Fatima Cigarettes, best of all
10: king size cigarettes, has brought you Dragnet transcribed from Los Angeles.
14: Now, it's Counter Spy on NBC.
0: That's going to do it for Case Closed this week. If you want to find more from Sherlock Holmes, Dragnet, past episodes of Case Closed, and thousands of other old-time radio episodes, just visit the website at relicradio.com. You can also donate through the website if you'd like to help support this and all of the shows, or visit donate.relicradio.com. Thanks, as always, to those who have helped out. And thanks for joining me this week. I'll be back next Wednesday with another hour of Case Closed.